Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of On the Money, the number one small business show on Business Radio X. The show is presented by Embassy National Bank. We are a chartered national financial institution. Deposits are insured by the FDIC. And as you know, we discuss topics on the show designed to help small business succeed because at Embassy National Bank, we are proud of how we help small business. I'm Joe Moss, your host and the president over at the bank, and welcome you. And we're broadcasting from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio. Um, Today, we're going to have a really cool show. And because um, we're going to talk about a couple of different things, we're going to interview Rob Cool. Rob, how are you? Good afternoon. Good. Well, thank you. Uh, spelled K U E H L, but spelled Cool, C O O L. And he is the president and CEO of Meyer America, which is um, a company, I guess, based in Germany, correct? Correct. And you manufacture rotary union systems. Rotary joints or rotary unions is what we call them, yes, and systems for larger okay. type systems. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about what that's like to run a German company here in the U.S., but we're also going to talk about the different leadership struggles that you have in terms of making that work and how you get the right message out of Germany into America and all those things. And then, um, But then you also, I guess, in your travels, I guess while you're over there, you, you are a performer? I do some performing, yes. And uh, a lot of that is a, it's a hobby um, around the globe, proceeds going to children, which, good deal. Yes. That's the way it ought to be with special needs. Yes. At the end of the show, we've decided we're going to have a little fun because uh, Rob has brought some instruments. So um, let's get through the business part of this thing, and then we'll have a little enter- entertainment hour. Maybe not an hour, but a little <laughs> bit of time. So... Um, Rob, tell us about Meyer America. Let's start there. Okay. Meyer America is, as you said, a German company that's over 60 years old. It's a family-run company. Actually, more than almost 100 years. My apologies for that. Um, was started by a uh, four, four generations ago. We have a fourth-generational CEO right now by the name of Florian Meyer, mm. who hired me, and a second CEO by the name of uh, Andreas Greiner. His father, Erich Meyer, uh, basically started the company uh, from his grandfather and father. And uh, so it came in the fourth generation. And uh, they started doing something called rotary joints, which is a very unglamorous type product. It's a product that's in very many different industries. And it takes basically all kinds of fluids, water, oil, steam, glycol, etc., from a straight pipe flow into a rotating function and the industries could be in many different industries in the world but primarily for us it's plastics pet we're also in uh various different like textile uh, companies machine tools um and the list goes on and on where we find these joints all over the world we find them in gas and oil we find them in in paper houses paper mills printing presses, windmills, automobiles, trailers, and so on. They start from something very small and can be something that's very large. Are they all custom made? Not all. We have catalog products that can be directly ordered, um, or most of our products that we do, we specialize in customizing. And uh, we will deal with uh, you know customers who have a very specific problem. We'll identify that, and then we'll create the rotary joint for them. We have about 7,000 different uh, model joints that we work with. So what year would have this all started back in Germany? The rotary joint business started after World War II. After World War II, okay. And it was started by the company Meyer, uh, Christian Meyer, GmbH. And then it was passed on to one father after another, one one son after another, father passed it on to son and so on. Right, right. And um, obviously Germans have a, great reputation for producing really quality product 
Absolutely. It's, everything we do is made in Germany. I have to add that Meyer also has a facility in the U.S., of which I am the CEO, general manager. And then we also have a facility in Italy called Meyer Italia, and then we have a facility in China. Do we actually manufacture anything here in the U.S. for the... Yeah, we do very uh, little manufacturing. We do primarily assemblies. And the reason for that is that in our culture here in the United States, um, our customers want on-demand, meaning once they order it, they want it within a day or two. Sure. Or or less. I mean, immediately would be perfect. Um, But in um, Germany, the thinking is a little different. Uh, Germans like to think very structured, very organized, and they go from one step to another to another, and that could mean delivery times within weeks, sometimes months. Uh, Our customers here in this culture don't like that. So what we do is we keep a lot of stock. We have about 2,000 stock keeping units, SKUs, in our facility. And so we can easily manufacture rotary joints, usually catalog or simple joints uh, immediately and send those out same day. Uh, If we get the order, let's say by a certain time in the morning, we can get them out same day or the next day first thing. We we have a client that's a a metal fabricator, I guess is what they call that. And he brings in raw material and fits the metal for various uses. Very similar kind of... of, uh, process, I would think. Yes. In Germany, we have a full manufacturing system where we have machine tools, CNC machine tools, um, and computer numeric control. Mm -hmm. And we manufacture our products to the highest quality that you can possibly imagine. It is so clean, you can eat off the floor. Everything is structured and organized according to, you know, the German way of doing things. And uh, all our all of our products are manufactured in our in our manufacturing mm-hmm. facility in Germany, and then sent out to the various locations. We also do some manufacturing in Italy, where we have our multi-passage joints, and so there's some manufacturing done with machine shops there. We also use some machine shops here in the United States when we need to, um, you know, source various different, um, you know, piece parts mm-hmm. immediately. And some, so we'll have some good connections with machine shops here local, locally. So what's it like trying to run a German company here in the U.S., specifically headquartered in Georgia, in Atlanta? Well, Georgia, and specifically in this area, there are a numerous amounts of uh, German companies, hmm. probably one of the highest density amount of Germ- German companies uh, in the whole United States. I didn't know that. Yeah, we have an actual uh, German-American um, chamber of commerce here that uh, we work closely with, that we're members of, besides the Gwinnett County Chamber of Commerce. And uh, just in this area, Gwinnett County alone, there's close to 100 German companies. So this is a very well-known area for Germans, for German companies. Um, German, German, now Mercedes America is here. Mercedes is now here. Porsche right. is here mm-hmm. in Atlanta. Uh, Mercedes also has manufacturing. Is it the airport that's doing all that? Um, I think um, Atlanta is known to be a distribution city always has always has been ever since the civil war you know we've had the railroads going in and atlanta is kind of in towards the united states it's not you know way out like new york is and so it's a really centralized type of a place where distribution happens fairly easily and so that's one of the big reasons uh so we service the east coast really well all the way up into the east of of the of the mississippi in the west we're using distributors ourselves to grow that um that area uh, and we'll go direct there as well. But uh, you asked what it was like to lead or manage a German yeah. company? Yeah, um, because they're obviously a much different culture than we have here. German, The Germans are very structured and organized. I am a German as well. I'm both dual citizen, German-American. I speak both languages fluently, and I also studied in Germany. I lived there for 15 years, so I know that culture very, very well. It is a culture where organization is absolutely top. And sometimes in Germany, they'll want to know things that are really irrelevant to the process, but they just want to know because it's part of the organizational thing. And in Germany, it's very, very proud to own a certain specific product. It doesn't have to meet the speed or the extreme, you know, documented, you know, line items on the brochure. They're just proud to have that piece of machinery, and they feel really comfortable with that. 
Whereas here in the United States, we're a very pragmatic culture. We're, we're not as documented. When something breaks, we'll jury rig it. We'll take care of it immediately on the spot. We want it on demand. It runs 24 7, 365. And Germany is much more social company. Um, lots of unions, people work 35 hours a week there, more r relaxed. They work hard, but they play hard. But everything is very organized, very structured. Here, we will go from A to C to T and then back to B and then with a Z again. In Germany, it goes from A to B to C to D and you will wait in line until you come to whatever your, your letter is and you don't break that process. So I know that culture so well that when we speak to our customers here in the United States, sometimes we have to do things to meet that demand immediately, but at the same time to meet the demand of our German counterparts, which is let's structure and make sure everything's documented or organized. And everything has to be perfect each time. We strive for it. Right. Yeah. Right. We strive for perfection. <laughs> so in our world, we're, we're working on a deal and all of a sudden somebody comes up with a bigger deal that needs to be done quicker. We'll put this aside, but you know, we juggle, 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 juggle. Doesn't sound like that that would work the same way in Germany. Their culture is somewhat adapting to ours, but it's a very, very difficult process to go through. It's, um, it's a culture change, and yeah. culture change takes a very, very long time. And it'd be almost impossible to break that thinking. That's just the way that Germans are brought up. Um, I know it, I, I've been through it, so I understand it. Now, were and you born here? I was born here. Okay. Born and raised here through German parents, okay. well, German father. And uh, yeah, I had the German citizenship ever since I was young. Yeah, okay. So... so um, People that you hire here in America, do they've got? Do you get them acclimated into the German culture, or is that something you do by yourself? Well, I don't necessarily look for the German in it. I look more for the attitude. Attitude for me is number one. If the attitude is correct, you can train anybody. That's my. That's been my mantra from from day one. So I look for a good attitude. Somebody who is a positive, willing to take on whatever comes on to to really grow. Mm -hmm. And um, the German part comes over time. I mean, all of our all of our people that we hire that uh, that grow with the company, they will go to Germany. They will go and go through the process of you know uh, understanding what the culture is like over there, and understanding our products from A to Z, and um, and that comes automatically. There's really not that much of a difference between the lifestyle in Germany and the lifestyle here in the United States. It's safe. We have good borders uh we have a culture that looks at you know taking care of the customer mm -hmm. service here is much much better than it is in germany and the biggest issue that we have is is price and time cost and time it's mm -hmm. always the same thing money and time and so we try to take care of that with little things that we can do here within the united states and is it uh What's it like trying to cr uh, create products, sell it to America now, given all the fluctuations in foreign exchange and um, EU and all those other things that are going on? Yes, there are many, many different uh, laws to follow, um, especially with TSA, new laws, with especially with textiles and anything that has to do with food or wood, anytime a special... Know, products that come out of different countries, we have to make sure that, that we document everything. So, and again, the German culture is very documented. Our products are very documented. We usually don't have too much of a problem with so that. So that's interesting. I didn't, I guess I hadn't really thought of that. When you're, we think of checking people mm -hmm. back and forth, but it's probably much more important to check product going back and forth to make sure there's not some kind of an illicit use, I guess, of the product or that it's getting used for what people thought it was getting used for? Is that the type of thing that TSA is looking at these days? Well, with all the terrorist activity going on, TSA is, is on alert much, much more than has been before. And uh, one of the things is, you know, not just terrorist activities, but also food products, bringing in any kind of bugs or diseases sure. and stuff like that. So that's why TSA has to know. And we have a very good doc documentation system. We fly in a shipment every week, basically, from Germany. And sometimes we'll you know, add some things that uh, m may come from China. Um, and we have to document that very, very clearly. And plus, we have a manufacturing facility or really a, an office in China, an office in Italy. So everything that comes from there has to be documented. The product that you bring in, you say you fly it in. 
I think it'd come by ship for some reason. Why would I think that? For smaller things, we can fly it. If it were a bit larger capital equipment, we would put it on the ship. Yeah. Yes, of course. Okay. Uh, anything that's extreme weight, you know, like you know, cars or anything of higher weight would obviously be shipped, and anything that can wait. You know, typically a shipping takes, you know, three, four, five weeks. It could sure. be longer, depending on the carrier that you have, depending on the process that you go through. Uh, we typically fly things because they're very, they're not very heavy. They're light. We're talking about seals and, you know, things that you can hold in your hand. But you're also talking about pretty, very heavy metal and steel product as well. Yes. But and the size is probably not that big. Yes. And. Again, we need to, you know, we have to watch our stock KB units. We don't want to overstock as well because that puts a burden on us financially. Mm -hmm. So we try to keep our stock at a very, very, you know, um, very um, effective level, but at the same time, keep it as low as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if we need to, we will ship. If there's heavy parts, we definitely will ship. But typically, as said before, uh, once something is ordered, customer wants it. And so we will go out of the way to make sure that they get it. I mean, literally, I guess uh, the the headquarters are close to uh, what are the big uh, airline, uh, the big uh, airports in Germany that fly directly into Atlanta? Frankfurt will be one, Munich another, Stuttgart. Those are the you know, and those I'm are the big sure ones. you're located pretty close to those. Yeah, we have a freight forwarder that we use, and the freight forwarder basically handles all that for us. So. Um, Someone could want something today, and then tonight it's on a plane. Yeah, typically the way we do it is we'll have a set day where we pack everything and ship it out on, let's say, on a Thursday or Friday, mm -hmm. and it's supposed to arrive here on a Monday or Tuesday. Now, it doesn't always work, work that way, but that, that's, that's, that's the plan, the plan. And, and that's the right. goal. So every Thursday, Friday, we have a shipping going out, and usually arrives Monday, Tuesday. Um, how are you managed? Uh, do they give you... A set of goals from Germany, and you manage to that? Or are they more, do they let you run it almost as a separate company? Um, how does how that whole process work? Yeah, the management of our company is that I run here in the United States the Meyer America LLC Corporation here, uh, like a general manager, CEO. I report directly to the group CEO, which is Florian Meyer. And there is a second CEO that has an in indirect report too. And there's also a VP of sales or a, a sales director who I have a data line who I report, report to about the sales. And they're at the corporate area. What we do is I'll report directly to them on activities that we're doing here. We have a vision, a mission. We have a strategy and we have tactics and goals. And so we will follow those very, very clearly. You know, the vision and mission is something that's being, you know, uh, finalized now with the new leadership from Florian Meyer. Uh, we just came back from a strategy meeting last week, and we're going to set our st strategic, uh, you know, goals mm -hmm. uh, by the end of this year for the following year. And then we'll put our goals together and our tactics, you know, how we go about, um, uh, you know, achieving that, that strategy. Um, you're listening on the money. Uh, brought to you by Embassy National Bank, and we're talking today to Rob Cool, who is the CEO of Meyer America, which is a uh, wholly owned uh, LLC by a company in Germany that makes very large family-owned company that makes uh, rotary union systems. And we're talking about how to how to manage a company in America from Germany and all the different obstacles that that presents. And uh, now we're talking about goal setting, communication of those goals to people here in the U.S. And that, that's solely on your back, or do you try to bring your managers into the process somehow? If I can't make a decision on something, I will definitely seek counsel. You know, I seek as much counsel as possible. Wise decisions are made on on on, on good counseling. So I will seek out counseling from not only from my bosses in Germany, but also from my connections that I have here from other CEOs that I've worked for before, I've never, I never burn my bridges, so I have all my connections there, and I'm in a CEO group where I, where I meet with other managers and discuss related issues. I've never dealt with as many human resources problems uh, as I as I do now as a CEO, and that's part of the job. Probably 50% of my time is dealing dealing with people. Well. I've noticed the same thing. You can be technically very qualified in terms of running a business, but when you do become the leader of the unit, all that tends to be less important than just making the people work together. 
So what kind of style do you have? How would you describe your leadership style? Well, I'm what I would say um, to that is servant leader. I, 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 I lead by example. You know, servant leadership is a philosophy and a set of practices that enriches the lives of individuals. So we see our people as being the highest, you know, asset to the company, which builds a better organization and ultimately creates a more just and caring world for our customers around us. So mm-hmm. um, everything rises and falls upon leadership. That's a quote by John Maxwell. John Maxwell is one of my favorite leadership I've learned from him as well. Yes, he lives uh, in Florida. He has an organization right up here. Mm -hmm. Um, They're building a huge university up there. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And uh, so for me, um, leading by example is really the top. That, uh, you know, it's not about titles, positions, or flowcharts. It's about, uh, you know, about one life influencing another. So teamwork is really important for us. I'll tell you, I'm a bit, would not expect a servant leadership style coming from a company in Germany. Well, is that used in Germany as well? The I, Maxwell style? Are, you, are they moving towards that? The style that our leader has put forth is more management by objectives and encouragement. And that's really what I call it. But in, in reality, if you peel everything away, it's servant leadership. It's, it's, it's showing that you will be a part of the team. Um, I follow all the rules as everybody else would follow them. Of course, there's certain privileges being a CEO in terms of knowing certain things and things that uh, can't be talked about. You know, I handle that mm-hmm. in a very, very special manner. But it's it's basically doing what you say. It's proving yourself um, in front of everybody else mm-hmm. and showing them that that you're real. You know, that I'm not any thing i put my trousers on the same way everybody else puts their trousers, trousers on and right. I, i'm just happy to be in in the position and i and i lead by example but is that the style typically in germany the leadership style in germany very much so i believe in our company it is yes um i it's surprising to me I, that's a good that's good i guess you know most of what americans know about germany i think or for me, comes from watching World War II films. Mm-hmm. So, I I uh, I would ha- I would think that style would be a little bit different than a servant leadership. But it's it's good to know that it's it tends to be the style. Yeah, our CEO will, you know, he's um, he leads by example. Our group CEO le- leads by example as well, and mm-hmm. so it's that and that's the key. You know, you want to lead and show people that that you're real and uh, work as a team and everybody works on the same projects to to together as a team it's not i or or my it's it's us and we and you know i can't do it myself it's possible you know, i'm i'm just one person but we have good dedicated people that know way more in certain areas than i do and and my job is to motivate encourage build them up to do the best job possible for the meyer america entity and we build that entity through good people and their knowledge and their business acumen and so on and so forth. So we, we build and grow them from inward up. Uh, another thing that we are doing is right now we have an intern in our facility and we build to gr- you know, plan to grow internships within our company to mm-hmm. kind of uh, build a homegrown setting of people for our future. This uh, intern is from Germany. And Mm -hmm. uh, he'll go back. He's uh, done something fabulous for us. And now we'll try to implement that going forward in helping our sales process to be more effective. We'll have other interns coming and we'll, you know, grow the business that way as well. And if they prove themselves, they get a job with us. Um, One of the things, if uh, reading, uh, studying Maxwell and and some of the other leaders out there, thought leaders, um, you've come across a phrase of of customer-centric making the customer customer number one is in a manufacturing environment. Is that what you try to do? Is that the focus? Your number one focus is the customer? The customer is a big part of it. It's not necessarily always number one. I think you have to look at what's happening every day. Every day is a challenge. Everything's something different. Uh, you have to look at change. Change is inevitable. It's going to happen continuously. You can't become what you need by remaining what, what we are. So we look at our process constantly. And um, so sometimes we have to look internally to make mm-hmm. the change internally and make us n- number one for a time so that we can go back to making the customer number one. Uh, process is very important for us to make sure that we are uh, as that we can keep our quality, 
Uh, quality is number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, safety is very important, and experience is is important. Those are our three pillars in in our in our vision statement, and to meet our customer needs. If we there's one item you didn't mention, I find very interesting, and that's cost. Well, cost is a part of it, but cost is buried. If you have a quality product, your customer wants quality. It's a matter of just showing it to them mm-hmm. and explaining the return on investment on it. Obviously, we're not going to get every customer. It's impossible. So we have a specific segment that we target for those uh, companies that want our product. Mm-hmm. And we'll weed through who they are. Uh, out of maybe 100 customers, we might get 30 of them. And then we build a relationship with them and uh, prove to them. And our product does the speaking. Then you've got multiple products for one customer or different variations of the same product for each customer. So you Sometimes sp- we do, yes. Yeah, so you get in the door and then you try to build. What else can we do for you? Exactly. And it's about uh, the number one thing is if a customer has a problem and you can help that customer, mm-hmm. you'll be a friend for life. Mm-hmm. If you're just doing a courtesy visit, who was that guy? <laughs> so really, it's all about finding an issue, a problem that your customer has. Mm-hmm. And that, and you can't do that better than by going in and seeing their facility and then asking and you know having something new to be able to sell as well, putting something in your bag that you can share to get in. And once you're in, you, you do identify a problem, you're able to serve that customer. It's it's gold. It's mm-hmm. it's it's you know if, if if you do what you're saying and you follow through, have uh, various examples of that, and um, it just works like a charm. And then we get testimonials, and then we keep growing off of that. The more testimonials you get, the more others start sharing word of mouth, and uh, they'll share about our quality, about our, about safety is very very important for us, important for our customers, and um, and to have experience. Mm-hmm. If you have the experience, that is absolutely top so the and cost and time those are the other two that i mentioned before those are those are our challenges we work with the best we possibly can to get the best price out there but made in germany is going to be expensive yeah. but it's going to last forever it's going to last and that's where the return on investment is the key if you can show it your customer break it yes if a maintenance manager has to get underneath that machine and pull that rotary joint out which could take hours and put it back in again, which could take, again, hours up to days. They don't want to do that. There's right. a value behind that. Right. What's that value to you, Mr. Right. Customer? And, that, and they'll start thinking lost about revenue. that. Lost revenue. Lost lost production, lost revenue, safety. lost time, safety. All these things factor in. And and you put a dollar value to it. And you ask yourself, what? how much is that value to it? How much is 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 you know per, per production time losing millions of bottles per hour? How, how much is that value to you? You can put a number to that. What what kind of number would you put on to having to spend you know ten hours on a machine just to just to change this thing out? Mm-hmm. Oh God, it's you know it's more than ten hours times the twenty five dollars an hour. It's it could be tens of thousands of dollars for them, you know. And that's how we sell us. And then when you look at our higher price in in, in initially, and you look over the time, it actually becomes a lower cost over time. And these machines that our rotary joints are in are machines that are around for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, these are huge capital equipment machines that'll be around for 10, you know, I mean, literally hundreds of years. But yeah. so your sales person is a very technically inclined salesperson, it sounds like. We call them sales engineers. Yeah. They're okay. basically- They you know, really know your product. They have to know the product. They have to know the customer needs and issues and problems. And then to know the product and how it would fit into- that do you, do you start them in the manufacturing role or if, when you bring them in, are they immediately sent to understand the manufacturing component of it? Um, the process by with us is usually there's a year's time. We really train ourselves wow. engineers well. Wow. So we take about a year for them to really get to know our products well, to get on our customers well, to get on our base. They'll go to Germany after half a year of getting to know us internally. They'll get a week of training in Germany, uh, very focused, the product and, you know, on our company, our culture. And usually after a year, they're, they're out running, kicking. And now, is there, a, is there a profile that you're looking for in hiring a customer, um, a, a salesperson? Absolutely. So you have all that defined. Absolutely. Okay. We have a job description. We have uh, the tasks that need to be done. And... I'm in the process of hiring now. We just, we just hired an engineer now who has an MBA. And um, 
very, very key person that for us that's uh, going to be going forward handling all the all of the southeast and south. You know, then mm-hmm. we have another uh, engineer that we're talking to right now. He doesn't have an engineering degree, but he has the the attitude. He was trained by the army, has a very technical electronic skill as well, and um, of course that requires training from us to get them to know our product. And again, we leave about a year there's time. Somebody mm-hmm. gets really good within one to two years with our product. And that's pretty much standard with Capital Equipment. Well, that's, um, boy, we've gone through, this has been fast, <laughs> but fascinating. Fun. I told you it was gonna be cool. Um, <laughs> all right, down here at the bottom, everybody has to fill out a profile for me, but down here at the bottom, uh, he has uh, music and entertainment as a hobby around the globe during his free time. What's that? Um, I, I never really learned how to play, play music. Um, I, I wanted to as a kid, and my parents at that time were like, oh, you can't make, make money with that stuff. Oh, that's <laughs> what happened to me too, sir. So and, uh, you get to play around. Uh, proceeds go to children with special needs. Is there a, is there a, a reason behind the, the children with special needs? Yeah, I came from a background where I became a foster child for wow. for a while, and uh, my father remarried. My mother died when I was three, mm-hmm. and uh, my father had to work, so I ended up living with many different families. And I know how d- d- difficult it is to be a foster child. So when he remarried, I just had this music thing in my head, I, and I just wanted to play, and I just started picking up the guitar at 16 and just started what playing What year it. was that? Oh, uh, that was in 1976, 77. And, uh, so in you're pretty, still pretty young. Um, okay, thank you. Okay. Because <laughs> I started playing. I, I didn't in, pay you for that. <laughs> I started playing in 1970. I was about 14. Were you about 14? I was uh, 16. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So we're about the same age. Okay. So we probably same have the same music background. Okay, what's some of the first songs you learned to play? The first song that I learned. We're I... not going to talk about business anymore, I, I promise. Okay. okay. The first song I learned how to play was Stairway to Heaven. Wow, I forced okay. myself to play that. And then... Um, you know what my first song was? No. Lay, Lady, Lay, Bob okay. Dylan. Oh, yes. But my first song that I ever performed publicly, Sweet Baby James. Mm-hmm. So... Fabulous, yeah. And then I do a lot of blues stuff. Blues is where, I, where I do the best. Uh, working Man Blues, uh, stuff like that by, by, by Merle Haggard. That's my specialty. And uh, yeah, I just love playing. Um, and I'll... Yeah, people hire me all over the place just for fun. Uh, I do a lot of background stuff when I play. Um, you know, I play for for the tag association here for the cloud version of tag, and I'll just play when they do the networking, and people love it. And uh, I do some improv. I play for improv. I do Im- Im- improv guitar at church, uh, at um, at actual shows, improv shows, shows, and I get hired through Gig Salad to do weddings, funerals, um, all kinds of different things that I come across. Christmas, yes, Ooh. yes. Uh, th- those are not too fun, but they can be. It all depends. Yeah. Um, so we're in. The, what's the furthest? What's the weirdest place you've ever played in the world? India. Wow. Yeah, I got to go to India with a group, and I just started playing. And uh, did they know all fun. your American tunes? Uh, that was a very specialized place. That, uh, I do some Christian music as well. Oh, I I I lead in some church music. And that was more of a church organization mm-hmm. where we did some songs there. And uh, yeah, m- most of the people knew knew the songs in, in that group. The American tunes, yeah, a lot of people knew them. A lot of Dylan stuff and stuff like that. Yeah. All right, here's a trivia question. What artist, what artist's music is the most listened to all time? And I'll tell you, it's five times ahead of anybody you'd ever think of. So what do you, who do you think that is? I recently came from Nashville, and I didn't know this, but um, the Man in Black, he had an amazing amount of hits. May had more coverage than anybody. Three times the Man in Black, four times, four. T- all right, any other? What What about your guy? Dylan. Any other guesses? Dylan. Dylan. Nope. Hmm? Chris Tomlin. Oh yes, Chris. His music, music is played mm-hmm. all over the country in every single church. Mm-hmm. Yes, good point. I play a lot. I know, know a lot of his stuff too. Yeah. So anyway, I've heard that. I read that. It was a biography about Chris Tomlin. I was just, I get it. I understand it. It just blew me away. All right. Very interesting. So you, what do you want to play? You want to play something? Oh, uh, do you want to play with me? 
Sure. I'll play music with you, sir. Okay. I got something called Working Man Blues. Do, I'll do you know follow it? along. Is okay. it what a just a little it's, five bar blue, uh, three bar blues? Or? It's a it's a E A B type thing. Out. Okay. Okay. I've got this little thing, or I've got this one here. Uh, what do you prefer? Here, I'll do this. Why don't you do that one? This is my travel guitar here that I take along with me when I go to like you know when I when I'm away for longer periods of time. Just pick in there. It's tuned. So I go to E. So what I do with this is I'll, I'll take it. I just came from Vancouver on Monday, and I started playing out in the in the airport. I had some time, and I had people join me, and I'm like, wow, that's Does it really make cool. you nervous? You don't feel it's just, it's just something that's pretty natural for you? I, I, I still get nervous, yeah. But um, once you get started, once you see people's eyes, when they're walking through the airport, and they're like, and they're like, um, you know, they're down and they're traveling, they hear music, and boom. It's just like, wow, where's yeah. that music coming from? And I noticed that with kids. Whenever I play in restaurants or something, uh, it's just amazing. Uh, kids, little children, you know, four, five, six, even teenagers, as soon as they walk in a restaurant, where's that music coming from? Their eyes just pop up and they I look. Had a, I had a nine-year-old last night look at mommy and go, he's pretty good. So <laughs> it made me feel good. So anyway. Can, can you hear this through the mics? Go Actually, ahead. I do this with... I don't know if this will fit over my head. I do a little um, harmonica with this. So it goes like this. Like this. Can you hear this? It's a fine thing just getting by with nine kids and a wife been a working man dang near all my life and i'll keep on working as long as my two hands are fit to use yeah and i read a little bible in the evening just read a little bit of working man blues yeah Sometimes I think about leaving it to the town Do a little bit bumming around Throw my big bills out the town And I'll keep on working As long as my few hands are fit to use, yeah And I'll drink a little beer in the evening Sing a little bit of work in man blues, yeah I said Hey, hey, working man, working man like me Ain't never been on welfare That's one place I won't be Cause I'll keep on working As long as my two hands are fit to use, yeah And I read a little Bible in the evening Sing a bit of them working man blues, yeah Two hands are fit to use, yeah. Oh, I read a little Bible in the evening, sing a bit of them working man blues, yeah. I'll finish it up. Oh, I read a little Bible in the evening, sing a bit of them working man blues, yeah.
There you go. I guess it's my turn, huh? Yes. Okay. You want to be a... Uh... I play solo real well, so I can follow you. You do? Yeah. Okay, good. Um... Just tell me which key. In... Uh, I love to play in A minor. This will be just A minor and... Uh... So it's real simple. Stone song. Did yes. you recognize it? Yes, I did. <laughs> Very cool. We still got a little time, don't we? Well, you mentioned the man in black. Oh, I hear the train coming, coming round the bend. I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when I'm stuck some prison time keeps moving on and I hear that whistle blowing on down to San Antonio I was just a baby my mama told me son got to be a good boy don't ever play with guns but i shot a man in reno just to watch him die well i hear that whistle blowing i hang my head and cry you know that little riff in the middle i'll try it Car. They're probably sipping whiskey, smoking fine cigars. Well, I know I had it coming. I know I can't be free. Those people keep on moving. That's what tortures me. 
What they freed me from this prison If this railroad train were mine I'd move it on a little Farther down the line Far from Folsom Prison That's where I'd want to stay And I'd let that whistle whistle Yeah, and I'd let that lonesome whistle blow my blues away. <laughs> Fun stuff. Let's do this again. Okay. Well, I've been looking for sometimes. somebody to play with. Okay. Well, um, what else? You play something. Oh, do we still have time? Yeah, we got very little. We got another. Uh, we got another song. Why don't we us. do a little in instrumental? Maybe That's something fine. like uh, A minus seven to D seven. That's fine. A liking that so when are you moving into the your new digs me yeah what digs are you talking about well aren't you moving you mean the Gwinnett studio yeah aren't you gonna do something here with in the... the fall in the fall a little bigger studio so you can have a little uh, percussion and there maybe you go. Dr some drums or something all right all right rob tell me what music does for you it just um what does music do for me? It takes me to a whole nother, like, re relaxed world. Uh, you know, when I see people, the way they just relax with the music, it does something to me, knowing that I've given something to somebody, and they pay me for it, and it's not like work. I give that away, and it makes me feel like I've accomplished something. Like I've done something for somebody that can't do something for themselves and, and helps them to really remember something and maybe go back into something in life that, you know, they've gone to, into a certain level of, of, of peace and tran 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 tranquility, which they, which they you know, can experience in that moment again. Does your engineering mindset transition well over into music, or do you see yourself have to, like, shift gears? No, it, I have a perfect bridge. It goes back and forth. The left brain, right, right brain, I go back and forth. I, love, I just love listening to music. I don't know the theory behind it. I just do it. It happens automatically. Well, mm -hmm. engineers 
do make good musicians because there is an ebb and flow to it. It is, there are only 12 notes. Mm-hmm, right. Exactly. So you, as an engineer, you love to kind of explore. And so there's, what I look at is how many different ways can I put these 12 notes together? Mm-hmm. So. And then when you meet people, like uh, in Vancouver, I was playing, and this one guy came up, a uh, young guy, 28. He uh, for, uh, does filming and photography for musicians all over the world. Wow. So he travels Australia, Japan, all over the world. And he just kind of sat out with me, you know, I hung with me, and then he told me the story, and I told him mine. And then we ended up going to plane together, and ends up, we sit, we sit together. So we exchanged, you know, cards. He's going to be coming over to Atlanta at some point and filming me, and cool. uh, and so stuff like that just happens, you know, just you know, when, when, when you do music, you, you connect well, with people. I'll give you the last word. What do you want to, what do you want to tell everybody? Just to, um, in this time that is going on, just uh, try to be respectful, caring of other people. You know, I've met so many homeless people in Vancouver. I couldn't believe it. So I started, you know, just buying food for some people. And uh, some you wouldn't people expect that in Vancouver. Did not expect it at all. I was totally stunned by how many homeless people there are there, and how many people just don't care. And you know, they just, walk by. Just be respectful, care for people. Uh, servant leadership means you know living by example. And, uh, you know, being down to earth, being real. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, what a great show today. We did a lot of everything. And um, thank you, Producer Mike, for uh, setting it all up. You kind of know what makes everything tick in here. You showed that. You're on your way to uh, Rio. So good luck down there. Do good. Thank you very much. Do good down there. I'll bring back uh, the gold. And (laughs) and Rob, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. And be willing to share all of it. And, I think uh, we all learned a little bit about what it's like trying to migrate a certain culture into our culture, et cetera. So um, thanks for sharing all that, and thanks for playing with us. Thank you. Thanks for playing, too. Okay, good. All right. That's our show for the day. That's been On the Money. As you know, we are the number one small business show on Business Radio X, and uh, you can follow us on Twitter at on underscore the underscore money and then the number one, and you can listen to any of our shows by visiting onthemoney.businessradiox.com. Go to iTunes and download our shows. And we also have a video component out there on uh, the Business Radio X Gwinnett YouTube channel. I'm sure this one will be pretty interesting to to watch. So until next time, um, Joe Moss with Embassy National Bank. And, And remember to be careful out there. Leave fear in the back seat. And I think you alluded to it, Rob. Stay authentic. Stay true to yourself do your best to help somebody else out today. So with that, thanks everybody. And we'll see you next time.